for those of you staying in the auditorium, would you join me in Acts chapter 10? Acts chapter 10. Again, if you're just joining us with this morning, what we're doing is we're going through a booklet on discipleship. And we're making these booklets available. If you don't have one in hand, you're more than welcome to get up and even go by the office and grab one right now. They're free for those of you who are coming on a regular basis. And if you would like to have a handout rather than writing in the book, have a write on a handout copy. The men are moving through the auditorium. They'll hand those out to those of you who would rather have that paper and then transfer, do whatever you want later on. Or if you're not here on a regular basis, then they have the handouts for you. We are talking about discipleship, and we're going through this booklet that's talking about basic discipleship. We're in chapter 4 in your booklet, uh, 49 through 66, and we're partly through it. Now, we're talking, and when we talk about sharing our faith, the topic we want to talk about this morning and complete is the topic of baptism. You're in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. I want to point out something. This is where my class, if you're joining us from the other class, this is where we ended up last week. We started talking that, and we need, to, we need to be honest about this, okay? When you read in the Bible, baptism, it's not always water baptism. And you have to be careful of the passages, okay, when you're reading it through. And you don't want to force upon the Scripture something that's not there. There are two different types of baptisms mentioned in the New Testament. There is water baptism and there is spirit baptism. Acts chapter 10 portrays it really interesting fashion. In the story of Acts chapter 10, this is when Peter is going and he's called by the Spirit of God to go to the house of Cornelius. He has seen the sheet vision, been told not to say unclean about things that God has called clean, and then he gets the invitation after that vision, to go to Cornelius, who's a Gentile. He gets to Cornelius' house. Cornelius has a number of friends and relatives with him. They want Peter to share the truth with them. Peter is sharing the truth. And as he's gone and expressed the truth, we go to verse 44. Verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words, what happens to the people who are hearing the word? Okay, the Holy Spirit fell on all of them. Okay. Now, the word is not used here, baptism of the Spirit, the phrase, but the concept is here. It says, and they of the circumcision, that is the Jews who were with Peter, that which, had, which were believers, were astonished as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles was given what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Who gets, in this time period now, who gets the Holy Spirit? Believers, believers. Remember Jesus told them in Acts chapter 1, he says, you stay here in Jerusalem because you are going to be baptized with the Spirit. That I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who Jesus had called the other comforter. Okay, and so Jesus has already told them this is going to happen. The Jews had their experience, the Jewish believers on Pentecost. All of a sudden the Spirit comes upon them. Remember Jeremiah 33, that the Spirit coming upon people was part of the new covenant. Thank you. The new covenant, that new covenant that Jesus introduced at the Last Supper when he said, this blood is my, you know, testament of my, my uh, is a representation of the new covenant. So all of this is new. And so the Jews, they find it amazing that the Holy Spirit now has come upon Gentiles. And that's the response. And they heard them speak. There was an evidence of it to show the Jews fitting Isaiah where it talks about the spirit that speaking in tongues would occur in front of Jews so as to reach the Jews and to show them of a new sign of things coming that Isaiah predicted. Here it is. They speak in tongues in front of the Jews confirming that they have the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost. In this text, okay, as you go through it, something happens. These individuals receive the Holy Ghost, okay, which is in New Testament terms is the baptism, the coming of the Holy Spirit upon them. And then Peter and his friends, they see it. They know now that these people have equal footing with us. And as you go through, Peter wants them who have been baptized with the Spirit, he wants them to be baptized in water, okay? And so you have in this text an illustration of the dual baptisms that are mentioned in the New Testament in Galatians, where he talks about this baptism of the Holy Spirit. For as many of you who has been, have been baptized into Christ, okay, who put you into Christ? Which one of the Trinity worked to put you into a relationship with Christ? 
the Holy Spirit, you've been baptized, okay, have put on Christ. And we made these observations last week. This baptism is not something you do. This baptism, this spirit baptism, is something that's done to you. This one is a spiritual baptism because he talks about putting on Christ, being in Christ. It's not a water baptism. This is a spiritual baptism. It is done to all believers. This is interesting. But as many as as have put on Christ... And so it's all the believers get this baptism of the Spirit into Christ. It is at the moment of one's salvation. That is the Spirit baptism. So we were to highlight some, some of these differences or similarities. We would say this, and it's a chart that you have in your booklet, that it, the Spirit baptism happens at the moment of your salvation. You are immersed, placed into a relationship with Jesus Christ, joined together with Him in a spiritual mode. It's inward reality. It's something that is true, and it happens to all believers. Now our question is, how does this relate to water baptism? And where we were last week, we made some observations. We said water baptism, which most of us are familiar with because of whatever church background we came from, there's uh, different ideas about water baptism. We're looking and saying, what does the Bible teach us about water baptism? Contrary to what some other churches say, water baptism does not save. True? Okay, that's true. Do other churches and other denominations, do some of them say water baptism saves? Yes, absolutely. But we read in scriptures, like in Acts chapter 16, what must I do to be saved? And their response is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They never say you need to be baptized. Now, does the man get baptized in time? He does, but that's not part of his salvation experience, okay? We would say this, number two, baptism does not wash away your sins. Now, we were, we were talking with the prayerists are here from Portugal just for a couple of days, uh, visiting with family, and he was talking about some of that experience that he had had in conversation with some people, that there is, in some denominations, there is the teaching that you have to be baptized in a river, and the reason you have to be baptized in a river or some type of flowing water is... To, to picture your sins are washed away. Well, there are some denominations that teach this very fact that your sins are washed away by baptism. But we would look and say, what does the Bible say? What cleanses us from all sin? Okay. The blood of Jesus Christ. It is not the waters of baptism. Okay, and so that's a very important distinction. We said this. Some of you were with uh, one of the other classes and you had some of these same comments. We said baptism doesn't earn favor. When somebody gets baptized, that doesn't make them, you know, in a, in a spot where, oh, yeah, now God's really going to bless me because now I'm on a special level in relationship and fellowship with God because I've been baptized. Now, it's an act of obedience, but it doesn't gain you any any merit or favor in the sight of God. We are saved by grace through faith and not of works lest any man... Okay, so we can't do it. It's unmerited. Not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, not because of our baptism. But is this true or not? If you ask a lot of people and you were to say, hey, Jim, if you were to stand before the Lord and say, uh, and he were to say to you, How, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Have you had a lot of people respond and say, I was baptized? Yeah, that seems to be a real common one in America. Quite frequent. Water baptism is commanded in Scripture. We pointed this out. Repent and be baptized. Uh, every one of you, he says, for the remission of sin. There's two commands there. One was baptism. He commanded then in Acts chapter 10, the very passage you're open to, the last couple verses, point out that he commands Cornelius and his household to be baptized. It wasn't something that was optional. In fact, Jesus gave the command that if you are going to disciple people, then you must not only mock they taste, teach them. You must see that they get baptized, and you want to follow through by teaching them all things. So in the, in the words of Christ, baptism is a part of our great commission to making sure that we are practicing and encouraging it and making opportunity for people to follow through. Baptism, water baptism, identifies you with Jesus Christ. Okay, It is this idea of a picture that you are spiritually united. Let's go back to our thought. Okay, You've been baptized into Christ. You've put on Christ. And what it's going to do, it's going to picture that you are with Christ, united with him, even like you're put into the water. You're put into Jesus Christ. But Romans 6 is what we looked at at length last week. Romans 6 talks about being buried with him by baptism. That's 
That's not water, but it's a picture here. Okay? That our baptism, water baptism doesn't associate us with, or doesn't uh, link us to Christ's death. It doesn't make it possible. The spirit baptism does, but the water baptism portrays it. It symbolizes it. If I can do this, uh, a silly illustration. But if I take out and say, oh, hey, I got a picture here. And this picture is my daughter and her husband. Okay? Is this my daughter and her husband? Oh, it depends on how literal I want to be. Right? Right? It is them, but it's, in reality, it's a picture of it. Does baptism unite us to Christ? No, but it is a... It's a picture of it. And so we have to remember that that's the concept, that it is a symbolism, and symbolism only of what Christ has done for us and how we are united with Jesus Christ in that relationship. So we go a little bit further, okay, and we say, okay, in Romans chapter 6, you can turn there and look at that one verse. I, I didn't put it back up here. But it links us, it associates, it pictures his burial, his resurrection. It shows that we are walking in newness of life. It is saying that we are dead to sin, no longer living to sin. This is the passage that starts off, uh, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Okay, and that's where he builds us on. Your baptism is your declaration of saying, I'm not going to live in sin any longer. And so you're not only, you're not only in baptism, you're not only identifying with Christ that you, what he has done for you, but you're saying, this is what I'm going to do for Christ. And so it identifies, it shows that you belong to Jesus Christ. Now, with that in mind, okay, this is where most of you have no problem, but if you're teaching this, you've got to take them, your, your disciple, you've got, you got to stop here and ask this question. What mode of baptism carries out the picture of showing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? What mode of baptism carries out the idea, I have died to sin and I'm walking in newness of life? And you and I are going to say, wait, there's lots of modes employed. There is sprinkling, there is dripping, there is pouring, there is submerging. And you say, wait, which one? Which one clearly portrays the symbolism, Christ died, buried, and resurrected? It's got to be immersion. That's the only one that gives you the symbolism, okay, and points out. And in fact, it fits the Greek word. Some of you remember this. We pointed out in the materials that the word baptizo talks about dunking things, submerging things, used by Greeks even talking about how they did canning and pickling. And it has the idea of dying, you know, putting fabric in water, that it would just all of a sudden, it would be submerged in it. And the word very clearly indicates that there is only one method of baptism that shows the word itself, the only one used in the New Testament, wherever you read baptism, is baptizo, meaning submerging, and it's the only mode that pictures, I have died myself and I'm living for Christ. It's a public testimony. And I'm emphasizing public here. Okay? This is very important. As seen, water baptism was an act God commanded for believers. It pictures or testifies to what Christ has done for you. You're, you're rehearsing this with that person. You're, showing, you're telling them the death, burial, and resurrection. That's what you're portraying. And they're saying, yes, I agree. Jesus died. He buried. He rose again. And I'm, I am saying I have died to my past. I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. And you're testi- they're testifying. By doing this, that I'm going to walk in newness of life. That's, that's the concept. That's the reason. That's the motive. Since it is an act of testifying, should it be done in an open fashion? Or is it okay to do baptisms in the privacy of your, your home in your bathtub? If it's to be a testimony, then what does that obviously say? It has to not be a private. It has to be public, okay? And so that, that idea of, of this public nature of baptism fits a lot of concepts. Now, this isn't the same baptism, so let's be clear, okay? The text that you're given in your lesson, in your book, it's not the same baptism as the Christian baptism. This is referring to whose baptism? John the Baptist, and his was a different purpose for the baptism. His wasn't to show the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, Okay, and it wasn't, it was designed for the Jewish people. But even that concept of baptism was known to the Jews. The Jews did baptisms like John's in private or in public. 
It was public. It was public. They understood. Baptisms were a public display representing something. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, and I don't think we're stretching Scripture, but if it is a private thing that you can go home and do all by yourself, how do they know how many people got baptized? How would they know that? Okay? So it indicates by just the virtue. And then you start going through the passages, and you start reading, and, okay, the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, was the Ethiopian eunuch, who do we know was there at his baptism? The Ethiopian eunuch, Philip, the the other people in his caravan. Do we know how many there were? No, okay. Uh, Lydia, the seller of purple, Acts chapter 16. Okay, do you remember where it gets done? Down by the... Okay, they meet at the riverside, and when she gets baptized, we know that there's Paul, his companions. There's obviously the, the person getting baptized, Lydia, and those who gathered with her, it says in the passage. The, uh, the jailer, uh, the jailer, his baptism in Acts 16, it is done in conjunction with he and his family. Okay, and you, you might respond and say, wait a minute, how come these people didn't do a baptism in church? There was none. In Acts 16, they're in what city? Philippi, because he's called the what jailer? Philippian jailer from Philippi. Okay, uh, just to see if you're awake. Okay, they, uh, they didn't do a baptism in a public arena because there wasn't a public arena. And Paul is going to be leaving the city tomorrow when they escort him out of the city. So Paul took advantage of the moment, and the moment was right there in their their home setting, but there was multiple people that were there. And so our questions go back to say, okay, when is public public enough? Is there anything in Scripture that says we have to have a um, Jewish concept? You have to have a minimum of how many men to do a synagogue? Ten. You have to have ten. That's why Lydia and her, the ladies are not meeting in a synagogue because they don't have ten men to form one. And so uh, should we say, do we have any indication of Scripture that we need ten males for a minimum to do a baptism? No, we don't have that in Scripture. Okay. Then how much is, a, is, is needed to be public? What's that? Well, there was him, plus if there was his caravan people. We, we don't know of a number. Is it legitimate for us to do a baptism with, with a group of five? Okay, we did this. When we were starting the church, we would run down to Lancaster and do... Were, were you guys coming? When we, we'd, go down, we'd, go, we'd go down. You got baptized in Lancaster? Yeah. We would run down to Lancaster and we'd borrow their baptism on a Sunday afternoon. And we might have two carloads of people. Okay. One of the reasons is there was only two carloads of people coming. Okay. And so we did as public as we could. Okay. And, and to, Rich, was your baptism legitimate that it was... Okay, okay, okay. It's earning you favor with God. There you go, Rich. Okay, thanks for confirming that truth. Uh, okay, so my question is, and, and I think this is legitimate because, uh, and I, you may think this is silly, but almost everybody I've done a Bible study with, if they could, they would do as private of a baptism as they could initially because... Is it stressful to get baptized? For, for most people, it is. Because it's, it's what? It's public, and it's scary, and I have to say something, and I'm going to look like a wet rat. Okay? My, my tuft is going to look really terrible. Okay? Do those things play into the minds of us who are young in the Lord? They do. They're real. I mean, do some people not want to get baptized because of a fear of water? Yeah, yeah, my worst experience baptizing somebody. 
They were afraid of water. I didn't know it. And as some of you remember this, I'm putting the person under the, under the water and I, it was my fault. I did not ask, are you afraid of water? I have learned since then. I ask everybody. And as I put the person down, the person flailed. Just did this and put, you know, you know, out loud, no, like this. And at that time, I had glasses issues where if I didn't have my glasses, I mean, I would react quickly if the kids would bump my glasses. It was just natural response. When she did this, she hit my glasses that they were starting to fall off my head. So my first concern was, get my glasses, and I dropped her. So she swallowed the water, and I'm trying to reach down and appropriately grab her to pull her up, getting my glasses on, and it it seemed like 30, 40 seconds to me. Actually, it seemed like an eternity. To her, I'm sure it seemed longer. But it was just a few seconds, but when I brought her up, she is coughing and gasping and choking. And the reaction of the people sitting in the building was, it was hilarious, because it, it looked funny. It looked funny. But her response? She was fearful. And then she was, yeah, yeah. And so that was terrible on my part, terrible on my part. Um, question is how, much is, how public do we want to get? So here, let me just throw these thoughts. You can, you can contemplate these in depth. Baptism in the Bible, I, I believe with my whole heart, it's a public event, Okay. But I know this, their numbers present varied at times. That's true in the New Testament, where we can confirm. The nature of those present varied at times. Sometimes it was all believers. Sometimes, like in Acts 10, it's the believers that were present. Ethiopian eunuch, his escorts, whoever with him, the caravan talks about, they would be unbelievers. Uh, But then there's some believers. Sometimes it's a mixed group. Um, we have the very settings changed. You know, a concern is, how could they baptize lots of people in Jerusalem? Because they have the pool of Siloam, which people remember the story of the man who wants to get into the pool, so his, you know, he can, his, uh, uh, was he paralyzed? Okay, yeah, it's that he could be healed because an angel had come down into the pool, and whoever went into the pool, they'd be healed. That's a good-sized pool, by the way. So it's not a water shortage of, of, for baptisms. The very setting sometimes were rivers, you know, which impacted the public nature. Okay? If, if you're going to do a public baptism at the ocean, at a beach, is it going to be viewed by a lot of people probably? Yeah, okay. Um, this was often due to the occasional circumstances behind the baptism. Several times and there were no believers or church groups yet present. Like in the Philippi, there was, they were just starting with brand new converts, Lydia the Philippian jailer. So there, how many different believers were there? Hardly any, but nobody, because there wasn't, this was the first gospel witness being done. And so that would make impact. Baptism like communion is an ordinance commanded and designed to be a testimony to the work of Jesus Christ. Okay, and we know that from, you know, we do show the Lord's death, we do publicize, is the word show. Uh, we have been planted. And so if I am to be giving a testimony and saying out loud, Christ has died for me. I am going to live for Christ. And this is my public, dec- this is my declaration. By virtue of the declaration, it, there should be some people there. Now maybe because of the circumstances, there's only Jim and I because there's, you know, it's at night. I'm, I, I'm, I'm the Apostle Paul. I'm going to leave. This is the only moment we have and we do it. Does that work for us today to say, this is the only moment we have? We, live, we don't live in a persecuted land. Does persecution, could it impact the public nature of it? Sure, sure. And so God designed it to be a means of testifying to the lost and the believers. Therefore, to testify to the lost and the believers to say, hey, listen, I'm going to live for Christ. Hold me accountable then I should not seek to be as private as possible. I should seek to be as public as possible. And so with that in mind, uh, it has a lot to do with the setting, the attitudes, the attempt to go public. I'm going to say it this way when I'm teaching. You who, we who have religious freedoms should not purposely hide our public declaration as much as we can. Does that make sense? Okay. We should not strive to be private. We should strive to be... 
yeah, share it with family. Invite family. See what you can do. We should seek and use the occasion to testify to those who know us well, like unsaved relatives and uh, people that we know well. We should use the occasion to have others present who will hold us accountable that I'm going to walk in newness of life. I want you to hold me accountable. So the nature is, let's not, let's not do it in your bathroom at, in private because you're scared. Let's get over that. Let's do what we can, as public as we possibly can, that we have done it. Okay, so what has been, what, ha, what has to be said? The reason I bring this up, and because in our church, this became, and still to this day, it, it, is, it, it is a point of discussion. Okay, and so I, I'm not sure I'd do this with a new convert, but I'm doing it with you. Um, when somebody is baptized, I'll give you the illustration. Uh, my children, when they were a little bit younger, they're playing baptism in the backyard. Uh, we had a stand-up pool for the kids, and they're playing baptism. And it was the two younger ones playing. One of them baptized the other one, and when they came up, they said, you didn't say it right. It was like, what? You didn't say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, uh, buried to... Buried with him in, in uh, baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. Well, for any kid to say that whole thing, I can't even remember how it was said, okay, in Romans 6. And so you didn't say it right, therefore it doesn't work. And I, and I overheard that and I started to think, wait a minute, have we created a culture of tradition in Faith Baptist Church by saying the same thing with every baptism, therefore the concept has become... There's only one way to be baptized. This is how traditions form. Repetition. Okay. My question is this. Okay. When we're going to talk about what is the legitimate, we'll get to that a little bit later. But in this passion, when you're doing a public baptism, okay, what does the person have to say? Does the person getting baptized have to share their testimony could somebody else share their testimony? Could I just ask a few questions and it be legitimate? Which one? Okay. We choose. Just to clarify this. We choose, and I'm emphasizing choose. We choose to have the persons being baptized share their testimony via relaying how they got saved or answering questions. We choose this. Does that make sense? Okay. We as a church have said this is how we're going to do it. We don't say God says that for you to have a legitimate baptism, you have to speak for a minute and a half. Or 10 minutes. We'll give you, <laughs> we'll give you that. Okay. There, there's, we choose it. Okay. And, and so don't make this. Don't say the Bible says you have to do it. Make sure you, when you're doing the Bible study, you're sharing with them, this is how we do it. Now, the big question that person's going to have is, what do I say? If you're going to help them out, work them through giving a testimony. Take the time to have them figure out what they're going to say. Okay? And by the way, when you're figuring out what they're going to say, can I throw this, you know, please understand where I'm coming from. When we do baptisms here, okay, I want to keep in mind everybody that's in this room. Okay, I'm going to say something. I know that's, that's going to be misunderstood. But I'm going to say it anyway. Therefore, I encourage the people who are getting baptized not to be lengthy. Okay? One, they're fear, they're, they have um, nervousness, number one. Number two, can they... Tell, can we all get on rabbit trails and not get to the point? Number three, when you're sitting here and if somebody is going on for 20 minutes telling all the background, where is your mind? Where does your mind go? It wanders. We also have, in typical, we have little people. Okay? And I'm concerned for the little people and you who are watching the little people, that if we have elongated situations, that all of a sudden becomes to the mind of the little person who's watching, the little person thinks, or even a young Christian, they have to give a 20-minute testimony. Is that true? Okay. Do you, do you see a practical... Do you see where we're coming from from a practical point of view? We don't demand lengthy, lengthy, give me your life story. 
Give me your biographical story. Let's, let's share a testimony. When did you get saved? Why did you need to get saved? What did Christ do for you in order to provide salvation? What did you do? Okay. Short and sweet. Okay. To accomplish the testimony of the situation. And, and again, um, you know, sometime, and sometimes even short and sweet, do we at times have to ask questions for clarification? Why is that? Nervousness? And so we want to help that person out, help others who are watching. So you take them. By the way, in the book, they do a fantastic illustration. If you want to use this one, this is a great illustration. With this wing, ring, I the... Okay, okay, let's use the illustration about baptism and marriage. Question, why do people wear wedding rings? What's that? Okay, why do people wear wedding rings? Yeah. Okay. In our culture, in our culture, it's a common customary symbol of being married. Okay. Okay. Do wedding rings make the person married? Okay. We'd say no, they merely are symbols of it. Okay. Okay. Just like baptism is a symbol of a spiritual relationship. Let's take it a little bit further. Is it possible to be married without a wedding ring? Yeah, you will. Yeah. In fact, just to confirm that we are married, what did you dig out of the box last night? Keep on going. The, the marriage license. She went, not because we had doubts. Okay. <laughs> but she needed it for a document. It was like, where's our marriage license? And it was like, well, it's where it's supposed to be kept in a safe place. Do you ever have those safe places that you don't know where it's at? <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> yeah, we got it. We got it. We're married. No question. Okay. Is it possible to be married with... with uh, okay. In my case, I outgrew my... I'm, I'm sorry. My ring shrunk. Okay. I don't know if it ever happens to you. Okay. But mine wore away right here after a period of time, and it just snapped one day. Okay. Cheap ring. Ah... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're having discussions later. <laughs> yeah, yours broke. Yours is just, your diamond fell out. Yeah, yeah, we're at Niagara Falls and her diamond fell right out. Oh, there it goes into the waterfall. Uh, Cracker Jacks didn't work for the two of us. Yeah. One can be a true believer without ever being baptized. True or false? Okay, I'm, I'm married. I don't have a ring. I did. Is it possible to wear a ring without being married? Sure, somebody can do that. So just in the same case, just as getting baptized does not make one a true believer. Okay? It's, it's a really good illustration. Thief on the cross was bound for paradise without ever being. Oh, what a great illustration. Okay, baptism doesn't save. It's not necessary. It's commanded. Once uh, one can be saved without being baptized, if they refuse, that's the question. Okay? Is if the person knows better, if any man knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is. Okay, so that's the issue. Are there any prerequisites to baptism? Are there some people who shouldn't be baptized? We have this now. We have this. Uh, we, we do this. We say to the individuals, okay, uh, Alice, you want to get baptized? What we're going to do is we're going to have you meet with what, and this is, this is not a, a Bible command. This is what we chose. We said we're going to have you meet with a group of three men. We'll call it our membership committee. And you meet with them and you share your testimony. We do it for a couple practical reasons. Number one is they get used to speaking in front of a stranger. That's helpful. Number two, it prevents an embarrassing situation. If Alice, if we didn't uh, vet her spiritually, and we get Alice in the tank, and I say, Alice, why do you want to be baptized? And Alice says, so I can go to heaven. Good answer, bad answer. What do I do? Alice, I'm sorry. But I can't baptize you right now because you gave the wrong answer. <laughs> yeah. what, is, what does that do for Alice? Okay, we've had this twice over the years. 
We've had individuals who have come to services. We thought the discussions were thorough. We find out when they met with the membership committee that their testimonies of salvation, all of a sudden they took it all the way back to their infant baptism as the beginning of their salvation. And each of those two cases, and I can tell you the people, I remember the cases both, the, the member of that committee said, listen, can we come and talk to you at your house this week? And in both those cases, they went over, they sat down, they explained, and both of those people prayed and got saved. Okay? And so, and we wouldn't have baptized them, but we prevented an embarrassment for them and an embarrassment for us. And so the reason we wouldn't have baptized them because there's the prerequisite in Scripture. Okay? Is there something that is required in Scripture before somebody can be baptized? Okay, I understand that there's one prerequisite. Okay, if you look at the verses, maybe grab the verse quickly, or some of you are so smart you know these. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Okay, okay, what's that mean? What's it mean to gladly receive the word? Remember, these are Jews. Okay, yeah, they're responding to the gospel. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and... He preached, I think this is to preach the kingdom, or proclaim the, preach Christ unto them. Preach Christ unto them, excuse me. He preached Christ unto them is the phrase. So he's proclaiming the gospel, okay? Now, in, this, in these two instances, okay, when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were, now they were baptized. But before they were baptized, what did they do? They believed, okay? Before getting baptized, all these people had uh, believed and received his word. Okay, that's a simple, that is a repetitious practice throughout the book of Acts that people received the word, that they believed. In other words, they had a personal salvation experience. I can take you through a lot of passages, okay? I'm going to go through this very quickly. You can look these up. Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch. When, P, when Philip comes to the Ethiopian eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch is sitting there and reading Isaiah 53. And as he's reading that, he says, I don't understand. Can somebody show me? And the next verse talks about Philip preached unto him Jesus. Okay? Then the Philip asked, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch asked Philip, do you remember the question he asked? After he's preached unto him Jesus, what does, he, say, he says, what keeps me or hinders me, what doth hinder me from being baptized? What keeps me from being baptized? Okay? What prerequisite does Philip give to the Ethiopian eunuch? He says to him, if you believe with all your heart, then you may be baptized. So he has to believe. Okay? Then the man goes, they go down into the water, and he baptizes them there. Let me take you to another one. Acts chapter 9. Anybody remember Saul? He's on his way to Damascus to persecute the believers. As he goes, all of a sudden he has a noontime... Appearance of Jesus Christ and knocks him down to his feet. Okay? And so he's opposing the church chief persecutor. What does he miraculously happens to him? He meets Jesus Christ because he says, Who are you, Lord? The one who's appearing to him uh, in, this, in this blazing appearance. And he says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutes. Okay. His immediate response. What would, yeah, what would you have me to do? So it's an immediate change, obvious change, from persecution to I surrender all. Just a tremendous change. What does he do is then, then he goes on, remember he goes into Damascus, God sends, um, not Agabus, who is it? Ananias, thank you. He sends him to him, and Ananias sent by the Lord to go, and Paul's sight is restored. He's been blinded by the whole experience. What does he do according to verse 18? Take a good guess on this one. He gets baptized. He arose and was baptized. Believe and then baptize as soon as he could. Okay, let me take another passage, Acts 10. By the way, I'm walking through all of the different passages. If you need to, mark these down so you can show the repetition and the consistency in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10, we already looked at Cornelius and his household. Uh, Peter preaches unto them that whosoever believes in him shall have remissions of sins. We quote what happened. These people, the Holy Ghost fell upon them. And when they heard, uh, then it says the uh, companions, they see something that happens that... 
that happens amongst these people. They, they have the Holy Spirit on them. They understand now they're on equal footing, that Christianity is even to the Gentiles. What does Peter want them to experience as believers? He commands them to be baptized, and again, they are baptized after they show evidence of salvation, as soon as they were uh, as soon as possible. Let me take you another one. Acts 16. Acts 16, this is the story of Lydia, the businesswoman. What does she do in response to the message that Paul is preaching to her? She attended to the things spoken by Paul. What does that mean? She's responding to the gospel. Her next action after that, she is baptized after she is saved as soon as possible. Let me take you to another one. Acts chapter 16. This is when he is in jail. The jailer asks them, what must I do to be saved? The answer to the jailer is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved in your household. What then did he do for them? What risk did he take? Talk about a changed character. He takes them to his house. That's a tremendous change that he's showing compassion to these prisoners to nurse them. What does it tell you about him? Obviously, he had a great internal change. And what did they do for him? Then he's baptized straightway. Acts chapter 18 is when uh, Paul is preaching. In particular, he is in the city of Corinth, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, The chief ruler of the synagogue is Cornelius. Cornelius responds to the gospel, believes believes in the Lord with all his house. And many other Corinthians do as well. They believe too, it says. What did all these people do after? that. They were baptized after they believed. And so what we learn is this, water baptism is for believers only. We also want to ask this, it is for, or say this, it is for all believers. The eighth fact, it is for all believers. I take you to Acts chapter 2, repent and be baptized every one of you, he said in that text. In Acts chapter 10, he commanded them, all of them who were in that household, to be baptized in the name of the Lord who had responded. Clear pattern is that all those who got saved were baptized soon thereafter. You can look it up. Check. Go through every one of those accounts. You'll find the case. Uh, anybody remember the story of Adoniram and Ann Judson? Congregationalist missionaries headed towards India. And on their four-month voyage, they studied the Bible. And the one topic they decided to study was baptism. And they are convinced in the course of their journey that they did not, were not baptized biblically since they were baptized as infants. So when they get to India, they left, sent out by the Congregational Church. They all of a sudden meet with William Carey, who's a Baptist at the time. And they ask him to baptize them so they are biblically baptized. Even can this, can it even be a missionary needs to follow the Lord in believer's baptism? The answer is yes. That you can be a Christian without being baptized, but you'll never be more than a disobedient Christian because it's commanded for all believers. Now here's where we were. Spirit baptism, moment of salvation, immersed into Christ, inward, spiritual, happens to all believers. Water baptism follows salvation. Water baptism, you're immersed into Christ as a picture of that union with Jesus. It's a physical outward symbol, and it should be done by all believers. So we have our chart completed, and we start getting into some responses about what about those different teachings. There are groups that teach that by baptism you're saved. I was in that group. Anybody else? Were you in a church that taught baptism saves? Yes? No? Okay. Okay. How do you respond to that? Everything we've already said. Right? Okay. What's that? Yeah, yeah, it, it, you know, not by works. We, we've, already, we've already pointed out, and if you're going to use one story that just absolutely destroys this to a new convert, who's the individual that I'm going to, you're going to be with me in paradise, never baptized? Yeah, the thief on the cross, just absolutely annihilates it. Infant baptism. Why did people start infant baptism? Do you remember historically? They started, first of all, saying baptism saves. And if baptism washes away sins, then surely what should we do? Get them as early as possible. And so we start baptizing the infants, and, and you and I are going to respond and say, wait a minute, we've already noted that it's the blood of Christ that washes away from sin. We already noted that, that baptism follows salvation. That child is too young. And by the way, you need to deal with this. You need to deal with this topic because the majority of the people that we're talking to in America have been baptized as babies, okay? So you've got to talk about it, and you've got to explain to them that their baptism wasn't really... Necessary. Yeah, it's, it's not a biblical baptism. 
It's just not a biblical baptism. In fact, infant baptism is not at all necessary. Do you see, do you see in reality infant baptism creating more harm than good? Oh, absolutely. It doesn't accomplish anything, and it's created more harm. Because a lot of people do what? They rely, they rely upon their infant baptism to get them into heaven. Yeah, false, a false belief. Um, this one, do you ever hear of household baptisms? Okay, um, if you get saved, Marlon, as long as you get saved and you're biblically baptized, your whole household's going to be covered. Um, and so we'll just do the dad of the family. We can do the kids, but his belief will cover everybody else. And the idea is based on this. In Acts chapter 10 and in Acts chapter 16, it says in this passage, this is Cornelius, with him his kinsmen and many were found, and he commanded them to be baptized. The assumption, the assumption is there were little kids and infants in this household. It, and, and I've emphasized one word, the assumption. And so based on the assumption that there was other people in this house and other family members, they had to have little ones. And those little ones were baptized because of dad's belief. But you and I would say, wait a minute, it says in this text that those who were baptized, that he commanded them to be baptized, the them in the previous verses heard the word and spoke in tongues. Most infants, okay, infants sound like they're speaking in tongues. Okay. Do, do, do infants hear the word and outwardly speak? No, no. So the assumption is based on an inaccuracy and an assumption. It's the same thing as in Acts chapter 16, that he baptized his household straightway and all he and his family. Therefore, you know, therefore that passage says that his kids got baptized and so... We can just baptize the whole family. However, it says when he brought them into the house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God, which indicates what? They all believed. They all believed. So again, it's an assumption that is, that's an inaccurate assumption. So don't get caught up in it by somebody throwing it at you. You know, it's, it's not a truism. The mode of baptism, uh, we could talk about that, but you already know that well enough. Uh, here's the area that we got. Now, let me take the next couple of minutes. This is in our community. If you're doing a Bible study in our community, and it doesn't come up in the booklet. Anybody notice it's not at all in this booklet? Triune immersion isn't even brought up. You know why this booklet talks more about infant baptism? The, t- the people producing it live in Ohio, one of the, one of the, uh, in the Canton area, that 97% of their community is Roman Catholic. So they talk about what is in their community. You and I need to have a page that talks about triune immersion. Because that's, the, that's a perversion within our community. Now here's why, let me explain it for the umpteenth time. The idea, the concept is baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 28. Let me point out the argument for this. Okay, That the reason you do multiple, you baptize in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Try an immersion. My, my coy phrase, which is not respectful, but I call it triple dip. Okay, the, the reason you do that, the argument is this, baptizing them, baptizing is in the plural. Uh, our English won't help us in a whole lot, uh, but let me, let me pervert our English to, take you, to give you an idea of the way the Greek would work. The Greek is very specific. You can tell that the, the verb has to agree with everything else by the letters that are used. Um, if I did this, if I said, I hit you, and I went around, and I'd say, okay, uh, that's a singular, I hit. How do I know it's a singular hit? Because of the direct object, him or you. But how do I know if it's plural if I say, I hit you? We know it by context in the English, Okay. The direct object. In the Greek, it would be clear. It would be, I hit you, singular. I hits you. Okay. Um, I, I pay your bill. Don't, don't dream. But I, I pay your bill. If I'm going to do that for all of you, I would say it in the Greek. I pays your bill. 
And I, it would be very clear. Does that make sense? Okay, so in the Greek, it's a very clear plural action, baptizings. Okay, you do multiple baptizings. That's why triple dip, because the verb is a plural verb. Time out. The verb has to agree with the direct object. If, it's, if the direct object is plural, then the verb has to be plural. You know, the them is plural. The baptizings is because there's multiple people. So it's a grammatical argument that is based on poor grammar. Does that make sense? Okay. And it says, okay, and the other thought is, well, it's because you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I would look and say, grammatically, if I am baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, it would read, baptizing them in the names of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That would be grammatically correct. Okay. Let's take it and go this. The picture in baptism is what? Whose work are you picturing? Okay? Whose death, burial, and resurrection are you picturing? When you do Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who have you just said died, buried, and resurrected? All three. Did the Father die, buried, and resurrect? Did the Holy Ghost die, buried, and resurrect? No. How many times did Jesus die and resurrect? Okay. How many times did you get saved? One time. Multiple dipping corrupts the symbolism. Does that make sense? Okay, let me take you a step further. Were all the baptisms in the New Testament done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Okay, remember the triune immersionists insist baptism requires multiple dippings because the formula in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. However, okay, whoops, let me go back. Oh, man, I skipped a... Oh, look up, look up, Acts 19, Acts 10, okay, and I believe it's the Philippian... Uh, it's Acts 2. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord. Acts 10.48, be baptized in the name of the Lord or Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Acts 10, Acts 2... Acts 19.5, baptize in the name of the Lord. All three of the occasions in the book of Acts where they gave a specific baptism in the name of only uses Jesus Christ. They never include the Father, Son, and the Spirit, all three. The formula is different in the book of Acts. So the question is, well, what is the formula? I don't think the formula is the concern. I think it's the symbolism. The symbolism is I'm showing the death, burial, and resurrection of... Jesus Christ. Okay. And then we would conclude this. Should I get baptized? Yeah, if you're saved. Or, you know, were you ever immersed? Or were you immersed after salvation? If the answer to that is, you know, I was never immersed after salvation, yeah, you should get baptized. Did you baptize? And here's another one. Let me throw this in. Is your, was your baptism, maybe you were immersed, but did it, did it present itself? Was it presented that this is when I'm getting saved? Was it perverted in the public testimony? If it was perverted, then I would suggest you would do it the right way. Here's the one for you parents. Okay? This happens all the time here. Teens come, they say, young adults come and they say, I prayed as a child. I don't know if I was saved. I'm 15 years, 15 years old. I know now I am saved. I prayed. I got real confident assurance. Question is, should they get baptized? My response to that is, when do you point to when you are saved? If you're saying, well, I know I am saved now at age 15, then I'm going to encourage the kids. You should get baptized. Because this is the moment you're, you're pointing and saying, you know, whether I was, I don't know. But this I know I am saved and I'm publicly going to live for Christ. Then get baptized. And I don't think it's an error to have the person. If you're going to do anything, err on the point of being more obedient. In that sense. So those are things that you have in your Bible study. You got to get ready because I'm preaching. Okay.